I'm Michelle Olivier, and you're listening to Hey, I Want Your Job, the podcast that looks at amazing jobs and what it takes to get them. Welcome to this week's episode of Hey, I Want Your Job. And today's a little different. So today, as you can see, you can't see my uh, my guests. We have Robin and Fry who have joined me. Um, and there's a reason for the anonymity. Guys, what is your job and why do I have an avatar and just a name? You want to go for it, Fry? Sure. So um, I go by D5 Fry in the space. And I am currently marketing director for a project called Geode Finance. And I also have a podcast that I do with Crypto for Robin here. And we just are exploring the space as well ourselves and really excited about what's to come in the realm of uh, cryptocurrency and more specifically decentralized finance. Yeah, and my role over at uh, Geode Finance is kind of a combination of community management and marketing. Um, Fry and I work really closely together on various aspects of marketing endeavors that we're doing. So possibly social media, article writing, um, advertising of various kinds, um, just community building and community outreach as well. Because in this space, it is extreme. There's, there's a couple of very important things that you have to be doing. Um, having a Twitter is extremely important. Uh, having a Discord is important, and having a large group of people that are going to help you in a grassroots movement, essentially, is a pretty important factor, too. So you have to work with these people that are involved in your project as investors, because if you do not, then you will have almost nothing, because they'll be the ones who are going to help spread the information. They're the ones that are going to be drawing up interest with other people. So it's about really connecting with those people and kind of getting them on our own team, too. I, I think that um, all of that makes perfect sense. But again, I work with startups all the time and there's so much due diligence that goes into like, who is this human being where they really want to like dive into who you are as a person, background checks and like, and that's uh, as the talent advisor for them, like that goes into my background as well, even though I'm not even a startup. So talk to me about what does that look like in this space where you guys function as, you know, uh, DeFi Fry and and Robin and like not by your legal names and no pictures and no like not being physically out there and vocally as yourself like what does that how does that change those types of processes a lot of it is just saying basically well you can't look at our faces but look at our code and judge us by okay. that because decentralized finance is all about eliminating the central entity and there are some real geniuses in the space who can go real technically into how that, what that looks like and how it works. But the point is, is just what's, what's, what's possible because of these technologies is a lot more efficiency in finance. Um, because you don't need a, a bank manager or a person to tell you whether or not you're good for a loan. We have the capability in decentralized finance now where people can take loans against their cryptocurrency without any KYC, no, know your customer at all. And it doesn't mean that they're any less uh, safe or secure. I mean, anything can have its risks, of course, um, but we're, we're building something completely new and completely separate from traditional finance while doing a lot of things much better. And I think that that's the reason why we get away with some of the anonymity and um, why it's kind of understood because also being pioneers in this space, you run into certain legal questions when you deal with certain types of products. So it can be just easier to be anonymous. So when you say things like you run into certain legal problems with certain types of products, you can appreciate how that sounds shady as fuck to some people. So talk to me about why it is not shady and why this is instead totally legitimate business and not in like, you know, modern Russian mobster, legitimate businessman kind of way, like actually legitimate business. Well, I think I it's say, just, oh, go, go ahead, ahead, Robin. Okay. Um, so I would say one of the things is, uh, first off, like when Fry was kind of introducing me into this and I started noticing like so many people in the space have avatars, um, a lot of people just do it for fun. It's kind of fun to just not be you 
you know, like, I mean, I'm sure you, you know, remember the old school internet days where like you were just a random person and the, you, there was no like information about you at all, really. And it's kind of like that again in this space. Um, so you don't have a lot of the same issues. Like for instance, you're not going to have any racial bias or anything like that. If somebody was going to hire you, you know, if you prove that you have the skills necessary, you're going to be able to get onboarded onto a team because this space has so much opportunity in it. And when you talk about like the developers, they're on such a higher level. A lot of them know how to do complex coding, but they don't know how to communicate well with people. So sometimes you need other people to kind of step in and take that role. Um, they might be really good at writing code, but not writing articles. So there's a huge amount of information. And so if you can basically come in and identify that you are able to handle a certain job or position that'll add value, they don't really need to know who you are as long as you're producing. And I mean, one of the things that's really interesting is uh, what kind of, it also kind of goes into the same uh, area. You have a lot of people on our team. Um, there's only three of us on the team, myself, Fry, and one of the others um, that are located in the U.S. We haven't met any of our team members before. Um, some of them have that live in the U.K. Fry and I have known each other for a really long time, but otherwise, we just learned each other's names a few weeks ago, and we've been working together for a year now. So it's a, it's very interesting, the ability of the anonymity to give you, you know, this, this fun way to kind of play around in the space, but also to not be judged on who you are or what you look like or anything like that. You don't have to have like a resume or anything like that for a lot of the positions. All they want to know is, can you do this, you know, and then prove that you can. I love, so, so many things about that. I love because <laughs> I'm very anti-resume at the best of times. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I love the idea that, you know, it's a whole, it's more of a meritocracy as an industry and that like it's disrupting things in so many different ways. So, okay, let's wheel it back to the beginning. Tell me, how did this happen? Like you didn't just like wake up one morning and you'd be like, you know what? I think I'm just going to spend my entire professional life as an avatar <laughs> and jump into crypto. Like how did this happen? It sounds like Fry was the gateway drug into all of this, Robin. Essentially. Um, yeah, to this, to DeFi, yes. Um, I, I heard about Bitcoin back in 2012 and convinced myself not to invest and then kind of came back here and there, but I, I followed Bitcoin a lot. I didn't really research into it very much. So it was, you know, the very end of last, or not last year, in 2020, that he was really starting to kind of get into it and really pestering me to try and get into it as well. And we It was funny. Go ahead. It was really funny, too, because when I was initially trying to get him involved, I was telling him, I've actually lost a little bit of money, to be honest. But trust me, this is exciting. <laughs> this is going to be the new thing. And he thought he must have thought I sounded crazy. Right. Because obviously I'm saying I've lost <laughs> money, but come dive in with me. Oh, no, I, I totally him too. Yeah. Like my like husband. I wish I, yeah, I would say to him, too, like, I know things that I wish I knew as being an initial investor coming in. But then it took like another month and then I was ahead and I was able to say, and now I'm ahead too and it's working. And then he, you know, we kind of saw it and we came together and started to work together. Yeah, I, that story is so familiar. My husband's best friend um, uh, was an early miner for Bitcoin. And we, I mean, we took the ever-loving mick out of him. We were like, oh, and how, like, he's like, I bought a new PC to mine for Bitcoin. And we're like, okay. Congratulations, you just wasted how much? And he and now like he is retired off of the Bitcoin and he's like, I'm sorry, what now? <laughs> so totally, totally appreciate that story and that like, you know, I, I think that it's really taken the world by surprise. I think so many people don't weren't prepared for how quickly it was going to escalate and how sort of diverse the sort of cryptocurrency world was going to get as quickly as it has because you're talking about like the movements in the art world as well and you know everything else so talk to me give me for me and for the listeners can you give us just like a, a 30 second overview of cryptocurrency and the various iterations of that and kind of what the differences are and and sort of what all of that means 
You want to go? For well, I, yeah. Well, I'm an Ethereum maximalist, so I I tend to believe that Ethereum's going to be eventually the dominant chain. But you know, there's a lot of evidence against me in that to suggest that it's going to be a multi-chain world. So there's going to be Ethereum, and then you're going to have bridges to other networks. Um, but you're going to also have, uh, you have proto, uh, projects like Avalanche. It's another network that we're actually launching on with Geode that's, um, that's has the ability to build smart contracts on it. So it has that network ability and, um, and use case, but it's also much faster and has lower fees. So, so there, I'm going to pause you, Fry, and ask you to rewind there. a little bit because you jumped yeah. in assuming a lot more knowledge than I think is in evidence, certainly for me, let alone for some of my listeners. So back it up and talk to me about sort of what those things are, those platforms are that you're talking about. Are those trading platforms? Are those types of currency? Because in pop culture, you know, general media, when we hear crypto, we hear scammers and spammers, right? And then yeah. after that, we hear the names of some currency. And then there's not a lot more beyond that that makes it into mainstream media. So back up, if you would, and just explain, like, the different, like, what those, the very basic level of what, what you were just explaining. Sure. I guess when you think about the use case for Bitcoin, it's digital gold. It's, there's a scarcity to it and how it's produced, how it's mined. Um, the value associated with it that's really sold and that a lot of people are buying Bitcoin because that that fact that it's digital gold. And there's a lot of ways you can break that down and why, why that actually means to be true, that if you're not interested in gold, if you're not interested in investing in a boring asset like that that hasn't actually done much movement, you can invest in Bitcoin and you'll make magnitudes more, at least historically speaking. Um, but when you look at what's what happens with Ethereum, what happens when we start talking about a network like Ethereum, you're talking more about smart contracts. It's not just how much Bitcoin I hold and whether I'm sending my Bitcoin to one person or another, or if I'm using Bitcoin to pay for a service. Suddenly, it's it's something's being built on top of the currency like it's a network. And what it is is smart contracts are powering these networks that enable transactions like lending, like borrowing. Um, and that's essentially where the decentralized finance component comes in. It's when the, uh, networks like Ethereum are used to replicate um, things that you'd find in traditional finance, but not requiring the same rules. That's probably the best way I could explain it. That was very helpful. Thank you. Yes, even my brain got that. So thank you for it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Sure. Um, what I would say in regards to that, one of the ways I like to explain it to kind of, you know, dumb it down for someone who just doesn't get all of the random terminology is you. you have the blockchain. Okay. The blockchains are basically different network programs. So you have Ethereum, which is its own blockchain. You have Solana, which is its own blockchain. You have Avalanche, which is its own blockchain. And I like to describe the different blockchains as different countries almost. So now you have a country like the United States or China or something like that. And there's a lot of businesses that are built in these different countries. So on the network, all of these people can come in and freely code all these different projects and businesses and NFT projects. So basically the difference um, between like something like Bitcoin and Ethereum Bitcoin is like an asset where Ethereum is an entire network where you can build an essentially endless number of products for people to work with. Okay. That was definitely almost idiot proof. So <laughs> I appreciate it, Robin. And I also um, I appreciate you guys being patient with like explaining all of that. So how, so then if with that, as the basis. Now talk to me about what, where does we go from there? Like, how does it work that somebody has Bitcoin and then uses that to pay for groceries or go to the movies or buy a house or all of the things that we use sort of mundane currency for? How does that, how do we go from the, the sort of the crypto space into the, the day-to-day -day money space? For Bitcoin, that's really hard because of the fact that people see it as such a huge investment at this point that like 
I don't know if it will really ever turn into uh, a currency in the same way that like the dollar is. At this point, it's like it's more like gold where it's a speculative asset. It just fluctuates all over the place. So that is one of the issues, of course, still that unlike something like gold that has unfortunately had no movement in the last 12 years, it's remained stable. So it does have that going for it. But at the same time, if you had an asset that might quadruple, would you want to spend that? I mean, historically, like Bitcoin just keeps going up. There's the fluctuations in between in the short term, but in the long term, it's skyrocketing. And it's that way with a lot of the tokens that are, are the network-based tokens and coins as well. So you don't really want to spend especially your Bitcoin, most likely, because you want it to increase in value. Um, and and it's, there's not too many companies right now that accept Bitcoin. There's some, but I don't really see it becoming a currency. I see it becoming more of a store of value that you might want to sell like a block of gold or something. Another yeah. thing too is I, to just to kind of speak to what you were saying, like when will I ever be able to use Bitcoin to buy groceries in a grocery store? You, you won't necessarily. Um, and I wouldn't be able to speak to a direct way that you could do that. But what you might be able to do is you could hold an asset like Ethereum, right? Which some people view as just as value as bull as Bitcoin because it's its own native asset that's uh, Ether, Ethereum, um, uh, that, that basically is the native asset for the uh, Ethereum network and blockchain. But what you can do is you can build a bank banking protocol on top of Ethereum, and then you could stake your Ethereum in a bank and then borrow money against that in USDC to then send to your to your personal wallet and, and pay for something like groceries. You could do that. There's, there's a way to do that in a number of steps, steps with decentralized finance now. Okay. And so that was, because I, I totally hear what you're saying about, like, you don't want to divest yourself of this huge asset, right? That, as you say, is is going up astronomically. But at the same time, an asset only does me any good if I get to leverage its value in some way within my life, right? And so, like, my husband's best friend, as an example, he had to sell some of his Bitcoin to be able to pay off his mortgage and, and thus retire as a, a Bitcoin millionaire, which is still slightly i'm not quite sure how to process that but um but it, it but i hear your point like if there is a way to leverage the asset without having to actually divest that makes more sense that's why i'm more excited by ethereum is because there's more ways to actually use the asset and i'm more excited by what's happening with smart contracts on ethereum versus Bitcoin. I think of Bitcoin as a boring rock, but Bitcoin is good to get that first level of understanding, like, you know, the digital gold, and then you kind of understand how it goes from there. So talk to me about how the contracts work on Ethereum and what, what does that look like from an end user perspective? From an end user perspective, it can look however the designer chooses it to. And there's a number of DAOs with different use cases that, that have all kinds of different apps, but there are interfaces that are as intuitive as what you might see with online banking. Obviously not the same thing, and you shouldn't think of it as having the same level of risk. Uh, you know, you should evaluate evaluate any project you connect your private wallet to or, or do any kind of business with, you should always be cautious, but um, but the interfaces can be very intuitive. And so on that note, you said something there that I think resonates with a lot of people who are naturally curious about this world, but about, you know, doing due diligence and, you know, checking anything that is about your, your personal finances and, and money in particular. And I think that that's something that lay people struggle with without a, a really strong level of technology background. Like, how do I know? How do I know what are the spammers and scammers and what is a legitimate investment opportunity? How do I know of all of the different cryptocurrencies and platforms out there, like which are the the best or most reasonable um, investments and, and like how does somebody who doesn't know anything about this world know how to get started in it? What would they, what would your recommendation be around that? For me, I would I would recommend people don't get started with Ethereum just because of right now the expense to just make transactions is out of control. When uh, when I first got in, 
Fry was trying to kind of explain to me right before that it would cost like 50 or $60 to make a transaction. And I'm like, why the hell would anyone do that when you could use PayPal for free or Venmo for free or Zelle for free? So, I mean, back then when Ethereum was like the main blockchain that was uh, being built on, that's kind of where you needed to go to learn. But now there's so many other options where the transactions are like, a couple cents um, on secret network, for instance, the transactions usually cost me two to three cents. So much more reasonable for somebody to go and take $500, put it on a blockchain like that and actually have a chance to explore and get to learn because you could run through $500 in 10 transactions and essentially accomplish nothing because all of your money would be gone. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but you do have to use your Ethereum or the native uh, coin you have to use that on each blockchain as essentially a payment to make transactions happen. So when you're doing that on Ethereum, the asset that you value is also being burned and you're losing that every time you do something. So whatever you're doing better be worth losing $50 worth of your Ethereum, you know? And if you don't come into the space playing around with like a minimum of $5,000, you're really, it's not going to be worth anything you're investing in because you have to kind of decide, well, if I can get, 20% interest on something, but I just spent $50 to do that. And you have to wait a year to get the 20% interest. And of course you have to leverage any kind of risk that's associated with decentralized finance. Was that worth it? I would say probably not unless you're just chalking it up to learning, but now you don't need to spend that much to learn. There's so many other opportunities out there that I would say, try one of those other ones because you're going to get relatively similar experiences at this point, but for much cheaper. So it'll be a much better learning experience where I could easily now tell people, you know, go on there and bring a hundred bucks, get familiar with it. And back then that was not even, that wasn't even enough to do two transactions. So that is great information about that platform. So talk to me again, take it back a step for somebody who thinks I find crypto fascinating. I want to get, I'd like to dip my toe. How do they, where do they start with research and what is a good, like baby intro level <laughs> for people? Um, well, most people are going to, you're going to have to start purchasing or exchanging through a centralized exchange like Coinbase or uh, Gemini or something like that, Binance. And from there, you can either let your asset just kind of sit there and do nothing with it and just hope that it goes up in value, or you can get a wallet into centralized finance and transfer your money over. Just doing that alone is a scary experience when you're possibly trying to send a couple thousand dollars, because if you get one number off, there's no reconciliation for you just losing all of your money. It's on you 100%. So that alone is a scary starting point. And... Now, like I said, if you were going to be doing that by choosing one of the other chains where it's much less expensive to go play around, it would be less intimidating to start doing that kind of stuff. So to me, that's, that's a really great opportunity for people because now they don't have to worry so much about possibly losing something because you could send five cents over and it might cost you 10 cents. But if it doesn't work, uh, well, I got to figure that out, I guess. But if you do that with a large chunk of money and every single transaction costs a lot, you need to really like be careful of what you're doing in many ways. So I would say for most people, buy a little bit on a centralized exchange and get um, probably like Trust Wallet or MetaMask, which are two different uh, wallets. MetaMask is great because it actually allows you to deposit multiple different currencies and multiple different uh, blockchains currencies. So for instance, on Ethereum, it would be able to support Ethereum. It would also be able to support Avalanche and all the tokens that are based on Avalanche. So that's what I would suggest is just buy a little bit of whatever you kind of want to play with, preferably, you know, some Avalanche or some Ethereum, send it over to a wallet, um, and then just kind of start doing a little bit of research on YouTube would be a good thing. I'm a very visual learner. So I think that that's good because you can actually kind of see people explaining things a little more. Uh, it might help out. What gets complicated is if you have no background in finance, 
trying to navigate all of the things, trying to understand why they exist, what they're for, what the best use case for them might be. Uh, that's, that's a big learning curve. And there's, there's more to know every day. So that gets kind of daunting as well. But like I said earlier, being able to actually play around in this whole space now for a much cheaper price is a huge, huge win for anyone who's trying to get in and learn right now. It's I good do. time. To, go ahead. I was just going to say, what, what would you add to that? And then you're already jumping in. It's perfect. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say it's a, it's a good time now to be coming in as well because there's been a lot of improvements in terms of staking. Um, so in other words, a lot of people who are trying to figure out how to get value with their cryptocurrency, one of the first things they want to do is stake their assets for, for gain. So you could stake Ethereum now easily on a Coinbase account. So you don't have to go into a private wallet. You don't have to take that risk. You don't have to, to, do, um, to, to take your actual cryptocurrency and put it somewhere where you could theoretically lose it or you might accidentally lose your keys and then a spammer has access or a scammer has access to your account. You've lost all your cryptocurrency. You don't want to deal with any of that. All you have to do is go on Coinbase and they have, I think that they're, that they're still waiting lists, but they might be allowing um, people to just stake their Ethereum directly on the Coinbase app and you don't have to worry about it and you're earning interest on your Ethereum rather than it just sitting in a wallet doing nothing for you, which is good because if you believe in an asset, that the asset's going to be going up. Well, you want more of that asset, right? So if staking can do that for you and you can do it easily through the app without risk, you know, without the same risk of going on your own to a private wallet, there's, there's less barrier to entry there for sure. One more thing I would add real quick too that was related to this is uh, my advice when you were talking about the scamminess, spamminess, all that kind of stuff. To start out with, I hate to say it, but be very weary, trust no one, you know, like, I, I don't want to say that because really like everyone in the space is super cool, but with anything like this, there's huge amounts of money to be made. And I mean, all it takes for you to be able to retire if you wanted to was to orchestrate one kind of code that happened to work in a small scenario and you could steal so much. So you do have those kinds of people just like anywhere that are extremely intelligent and decide to put that to a negative use instead of a positive. But coming into a space where you know nothing, I would just say, be, be like go into discords and talk to people because 99% of the people are going to be amazing. You might get spammy looking things, so don't open those, you know, any more than you would start clicking on a bunch of spammy looking emails back when you were using your Yahoo account, you know. Um, just be careful of anyone who's trying to groom you or coerce you in any way. And of course, it's always hard to find that kind of a person when you're new. You, they're, they're very tricky, you know. Um, but a lot of the time, it's pretty obvious um, what's happening. So just be wary. Don't click on links that you don't know. Um, when you're trying to find things, actually, like, don't Google them most of the time because... There, uh, Fry was telling me about this when he first started, that there were a lot of people buying ad space on Google and they were actually fake. So they would buy like an ad with a fake, uh, you know, account with like, maybe they would change the web address with one letter. So they would flip it, you know, an A and a L or something like that. And one was called Yearn Finance and then there was like a link going around called Yearn Finance or something like that. And if you clicked on it and you connected your wallet, it would take all the money out of your wallet, basically. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, so that's like that, I guess, to me, like that's the scary thing, right? Because as soon as I hear any professional say, go to YouTube and there's loads of videos, like in my professional world, right? Like that is the last thing I want anybody doing is going to YouTube and being like, how do I do an interview? Because there is like 9,000 pieces of terrible fucking advice for every one piece of good advice. And so there's a lot about, you know, in the recruitment, in the, you know, finding work kind of world, there's a lot that we do and a lot of groups that I work with around coaching for how do you know who to trust? How do you know who to listen to? And why not to listen to all of the other millions of would-be experts on YouTube and TikTok and Insta and like 
even LinkedIn and all the other places that they want to be. Um, I can't imagine that's any different or any less in this field. Um, so other than like things that, you know, if it feels too good to be true, it is. And like usual common sense things around spam. What would you say are like the the biggest indicators of somebody that you should listen to or trust for how to do these, how how to engage with the crypto world? It's a good idea to kind of look at some of the different um, companies that have come around or protocols, DAOs, whatever you want to call them, projects that are dedicated just to increasing education in the space. There's a lot of them. One in particular is known as Gitcoin. And they do grants um, all the time for creators in the space who are doing a good job educating people about different cryptocurrencies in existence or different protocols that offer this DeFi use case or that DeFi use case. Um, that's just one group. Uh, definitely, there's plenty more that that are in existence, but that that is probably one of the things that makes it easy for me. Is if you know to look out for blue chip organizations that are providing education you can you can pretty easily separate it from the noise especially when you're just looking at someone's youtube thumbnail the person's head's on fire and it says token going to the moon you know i mean that's silly like really you really think that guy knows what he's talking about he doesn't know where, where the token's gonna go he just wants you to to click it it's clickbait it's trash you know a lot of it is that that obvious, but but you're right. There is sometimes there are scams. There are content that people try to pass off as legitimate. Um, one that that I saw was actually it was a video um, of Vitalik, the creator of Ethereum, speaking in in some kind of conference. But what they did is they created this this cover around it that said, send money to this address, we'll send twice the amount back, was basically the scam. So people would send crypto there and obviously get nothing back. <laughs> but but they put this frame around it and tried to pretend it was this new video that was doing this giveaway, you know? But if you, if you pay attention and you're not looking for a get-rich-quick scheme, you're going to see things like that. You're going to see the the tears in the, in the foundation that show you that, that it's a scam. So I, I think that that's that the space is growing more and more mature all the time. But if you're careful, it's it's not very easy to get scammed unless you're just not being careful at all. So I think what you said there, like the space is getting more and more mature all the time. Inevitably, when there is money involved consistently in an industry, eventually the regulators cometh, right? Because the government wants their cut, everybody wants to be involved in that pie. So what regulate what regulation changes are on the immediate horizon for crypto and what are what are what are the things that you guys worry about would be coming a lot of where we work is very much a gray area and there's a lot of tax law that's yet to come out about it i have a cpa i do everything legitimately it's i do my taxes just like any other person and i report my crypto earnings but I'm anonymous because I know I'm working in a space that could change tomorrow and they could say tomorrow that uh, this particular uh, interaction with the DeFi protocol is illegal because X, Y, and Z. It doesn't, we don't get KYC. We don't know your customer. We don't think that's safe. We think it's illegal. We're going to, we're going to ban it. So um, that could happen tomorrow. And if, and I don't want to have to make that choice between, you know, well, I'm a public figure. Every no one knows who I am. I guess I have to give this up now versus I'm an anonymous person. I could be anywhere in the world and I want to continue working towards the things that I believe in. That's why I choose to be an anonymous person, essentially. One of the other things I think other people do too. Go ahead. One of the things that kind of relates back to when we were talking about the avatars and I had mentioned that a lot of our team members are from other countries. Um, it kind of gets into that as well. I mean, there's different uh, regulations and issues popping up all over the country about this, you know? So all over the world, uh, there's all sorts of different things that or, uh, countries are trying to control uh, cryptocurrency in one way or another. So it's hard to keep up with all that because you're really like trying to keep up with, you know, 200 plus different countries laws. 
So there's a reason that a lot of other people, especially from foreign countries, uh, remain anonymous because it might not be legal in their country or it might not. Uh, it might be such a gray area there. Like for us, it's not that big of a gray area here. You know, it's pretty much like reported on your taxes at this point, just like you would any other income. And that's kind of it. Uh, in other countries, that's not the case. And so if you, if this is something that you value, if this is something that you believe in, if this is, you know, your career and someone is trying to control you, who especially usually doesn't understand this kind of stuff at all, most politicians seem to not understand cryptocurrency in any way. And because of that, they're going to try and control you with a bunch of laws that they don't really even get. So when it comes to that kind of stuff, that's another reason a lot of people remain anonymous is they, they might be worried about the ramifications of that if it was them doing it. But now it's, you know, it's one of their NFTs doing it. So it's a lot easier to just be in the space. So Fry, as you are a CPA, I have a taxi question about um, crypto. With or I have a CPA. Okay. But oh, I you mean, have a I'm CPA. not a CPA. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I thought you meant like I have a CPA as in like I have a certified public accountant licensee. Okay. No, no. I have one who works for me. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. So you guys may know this answer anyway, just because you know so much about this area. With stock, which is like, you know, traditional kind of product, you don't pay until you sell, right? Because you do capital gains off of the sell of the stock. How does it work with crypto? So if you've mined Bitcoin and it's just sat there in the ether accumulating worth, but you don't do anything with it, do you pay tax off of the speculative value of it or do you pay tax when you when you sell and cash in? I feel like so I my, saw something about this like maybe in the last week. This kind of stuff is always like up in the air because- okay. Did you earn From my it? understanding, you're supposed to report it at the moment, even if it's like just in a staking contract, the minute you have it and own it, you're supposed to report it. The, the issue with that, though, is like, did you really earn anything if you haven't realized any value yet? You yeah. know, like, did you earn anything if your wallet gets hacked and someone steals your money? Did you earn anything if, you know, the price of it drops down to nothing? What happens if you earn something? This has happened to us before where we earned, you know, a good amount of money in a token, but then the project collapsed or something like that, or somebody hacked it, you know? So, so the tokens you, are worth 5,000, but now they're worth nothing. Yeah. So right. did we earn anything? Because we never actually got to the point of cashing that out. So as far as I'm aware here, it is when you basically push it back through a centralized exchange and exchange it for fiat and get that put back into your bank account. That's when you've officially realized that kind of gain. See, and my CPA would say it, that's not true. She would say it's the minute that it exists, even if it's on your private wallet. But I have a, a pretty hard-nosed CPA about that. And that's I kind of like having having that too, though, because I know I'm going to be more on the cautious side than the, you know, the dangerous side in terms of like what I report on my taxes. And I totally get that. I just... My question is like, but I, like I'm kind of with Robin on this because, a, I'm paying off of something that I don't necessarily have the money to pay, right? Because it's just sat in the ether; it's not really a thing in my bank account. But b, like, if you had mined Bitcoin and it was like back when it was worth very little, and you pay the tax then, and now it's worth a ton, right? it doesn't feel appropriate that you paid tax on nothing, but now your thing is worth all of this money and you just get to have that with no additional tax implication. Mm -hmm. Well, the great thing about being American is you continuously pay tax. So you would pay tax on your Bitcoin that you had in the beginning and you would have pay taxes on capital gains tax on your Bitcoin today. Um, so, so really, I believe that you're, you could segment it by month. I mean, you know, where was your, was your Bitcoin at in value in, in January versus February? And you could adjust your capital gains from there. Um, but, but if it exists, if it's in a private wallet, if it's worth a certain amount of value and you withdraw it to, through a centralized exchange and pull it out, you're supposed to pay taxes on it. That's my understanding from my CPA. Well, there we go. We will take that then as gospel since none of us are actual CPAs and can argue, and she's not here to defend herself. So. 
Right. <laughs> we'll take that as red for the points of this. So I want to talk about something that we haven't touched on yet, but that I am totally fascinated about, which is NFTs and particularly like their, how they work and how they work within the art world. Um, so can one of you guys explain a little bit what an NFT is and why I would think it could be in any way related to um, the world of fine art? Yeah, I'll take this one. Um, so I am a fine art collector. I have my entire house decked out in art. Yes. So when it came, the very funny thing about NFTs is when I was kind of getting into them a little bit, um, it's very weird because I'm very thrifty when it comes to purchasing my art. I kind of wait and I, I search around and then I'm like that. I'm like, that artist accidentally made a really good piece for the first time. <laughs> and I'm like, I want it, you know? And then I'll just like, I try and get as much as I can because I have a big house and I'm trying to just like have crazy art everywhere. So getting into NFTs is a really weird thing because I can't put that up around my house, really. Right. I, can't, I can't enjoy that like I could a normal piece of art. But then on the flip side, how many people get to be inside my house every day? How many people get to enjoy the art that I have in my house every day? With NFTs, one of the good things is that you can share that with the world. Um, you, can, you can support artists, and there's all sorts of different artists that are making NFTs. Uh, one of the people that we had interviewed on our podcast a while ago, uh, Hanny Corey, he is a traditional painter, and he started making NFTs that are kind of a combination of pieces he would paint and then digitize and then add video and stuff like that over a little bit. So there's artists that are doing stuff like that still, but kind of going into the NFT realm because they see that it has a, it has a future value. And we're only really talking about the art at this point. So one of the other aspects that people enjoy, of course, is the PFP, so the profile pictures. Um, on Twitter, that's a huge, huge deal, especially if you own like a CryptoPunk or a Bored Ape or something like that. Uh, it's basically like, it's a way that you can have a digital Rolex or a digital Lamborghini, basically. The Bored Apes are worth more than Lamborghinis are now. So if you have that as your profile picture, people are going to take you seriously because they're like, you did something right, you know? It might have been complete luck, but damn, you got lucky hardcore there, you know? It's like you bought something for 200 bucks and it turned into a house. So... There's a, you know, there's so much to it. You have like the speculative value. You have uh, the community aspect of it, which is a huge, huge thing. Um, there'll be a lot of people who can pump projects just like they could with any garbage uh, shit coin that comes out. But um, the community is a huge factor in it. And then also when it comes to legitimate NFT projects, you're almost investing in a brand at that point. So you're investing in artists, you're investing in uh, video game developers, all this kind of stuff. Whatever the project's roadmap has to offer, if they're delivering on that and truly dedicated to their community, you're basically a partial owner in their brand at that point. And so whatever they're doing benefits you. And then you have a large community online as well that's like super connected due to the fact that you guys bought the same little picture or something like that. So on that note, Fry, can I get you to take us back and like, I love the enthusiasm, Robin, and I totally agree. And we'll talk about that in a sec. But Fry, can you take us back and give us the um, five second idiot's guide to what is an NFT? What does it stand for? And what does it actually mean? And what does it do? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, non-fungible token um, yeah. is, is, what it's, is what it means. And um, the idea is that it's like a, a picture that lives on the blockchain. Um, and what, what's most exciting to me about NFTs is what it can do for artists, um, because an NFT doesn't just have to be a picture. It could be a music file, an audio file. It could be a video. It could be anything, um, is it can actually track ownership and, and even returns in such a way that if you wanted to be an artist and just release your music uh, without having to deal with a music label taking all your value from you, you could actually do that with NFTs now. I mean, of course, there's still so much left to do and develop in the space, but I think it's going to be a way for artists to have more protection in terms of the value they create if they choose to, to utilize NFTs. 
in relation to that as well, one of the great things that does benefit artists directly, um, just last year, we interviewed a pretty good amount of artists. And I know that a few of them became millionaires last year because of their NFTs. So one of the great things about them is not only are you developing a community that's like, you're right there with them. And you basically like you would use a Twitter to kind of find people and to have them find you. And then you almost funnel them into your discord where they become part of your family and your community. Um, so what, what happens at that point then is you develop this group of people that are also, like I was saying earlier, very excited to spread the word about the project and about you. And one of the great things about NFTs is you can set royalties on them. So unlike a normal piece of art, if I buy a piece of art from somebody on Facebook marketplace, that's mine. And they, they got whatever it was that they paid for, you know, or whatever they originally sold it for. That's what they get. And that's the end of their profit. If you create a project that people are really excited about, or you're creating um, even, you know, smaller pieces of art that aren't like 10,000 piece um, projects, like a lot of the NFT generated uh, products are basically like every time somebody is buying or selling or trading your stuff, you're getting 5% or 10% of that sale. So like you can get a really popular product that you're pushing out to people that is so desirable that not only are you making that money selling it initially, but you're making hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars just from residual sales and trades. Which I think is, again, I'm a huge advocate for artists and I am like you. I, um, I have a pretty good size house and we only have original artwork in our house uh, mm -hmm. for the same reason. Like I, I don't do that. And I think that I love NFTs for all of the things you just said. I think it's really interesting. Um, Freakonomics did a whole piece on NFTs in the art world, um, did a series on it uh, a couple weeks back. And one of the things that they were talking about was that actually museums are using NFTs as a way to um, keep their collections sort of alive and circulating um, and also to help sort of get more financial stability for the museum because as with the pandemic and a million other things, museum attendance goes down, it gets harder and harder to be able to maintain facilities that actually maintain the original Rembrandts and, you know, those kind of pieces of work that have been around forever and require special atmospheric conditions, et cetera. Yeah. So I, I thought that that was fascinating. And I wonder right now in the art world, like the museums tend to clobber the art world a little bit, right? Like you're not a real artist if you're not in a gallery or in a museum kind of feeling. Do you worry about something similar in the NFT or do you think that the very nature of the crypto universe will kind of help keep that at bay? It really depends. Um, like I said, one of the good things about NFTs is that you can share them with the world. So you do have the ability to actually, like you could create a museum that everyone can come visit in like the metaverse essentially. So it gives, uh, there's extra opportunity for that kind of stuff. Um, when it comes to, uh, I guess, ah, I'm trying to think like, uh, can you say the question again? <laughs> so I was just asking if you think, if you worry at all that having museums beginning to enter the NFT market will mean that we'll have the same ramifications for smaller artists in that market that it does for them in the the traditional art market gotcha. or do you think that the nature of cryptocurrency will sort of keep that at bay i would say that it would it would keep it at bay i would like to think um you know people still buy art i still buy art and i don't buy it from museums you know so in fact most of the stuff that i see in just a good old regular museum i kind of don't care about at all um i like a vast number of weird styles of art. So for me, um, it kind of, it's, it's part of the same thing with NFTs. A lot of them, you have people that might want to just buy and flip them and stuff like that. But if I don't like the art, I have a really hard time getting in it. And I think when it comes to the museums, that'll probably have its place. But at the same time, there's almost not much of a reason to do that because you could just view it anywhere else. You could go view something digitally. Um, I think that it will it'll be its own thing, ultimately. Brian, are you an art nerd like us? 
Well, not as much, but I'll say this, you know, I, I've never attended an art auction or, or really done a lot of artistic type events before, but I did watch the Sotheby's auction because I was on there to see if the constitution was going to be bought by this DAO um, that had basically formed with just that goal. So basically this project on Twitter, they had all, all the best memes, you know, Nicolas Cage stealing the the declaration of independence but but basically they were they were trying to buy the constitution and that was their whole goal as they wanted a DAO to be formed to to finance and purchase the constitution whether it be kept in some kind of museum they privately maintain for members or whatever they just wanted to 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 win the constitution um and like like i'm like i said it worked for me it brought fresh interest to me to something i've never paid attention to before so I, I can imagine that that would be the same with other people as well. Do you know what he's referring to when they are trying to buy the constitution? No, I was going to ask. So I did the buying the constitution, like as an NFT or no, obviously, yeah, they were selling a copy of it. Um, I can't okay. remember all the specifics of it, but basically the Sotheby's auction, what was also unique about the auction too, is it was one of the first auctions where they did ETH. Uh, Ethereum as as a currency, in addition to the different um, amounts that were displayed, there there were people bidding on items in in Ethereum, which was really exciting. But yeah, a little more history on it. Basically, um, when the Constitution was signed, there's of course the original, but then everyone who was a signer got a copy as well. So there's a there's only a couple of these now left in existence of the original you know copies that are given out to someone like George Washington or Ben Franklin or whatever. Sure, sure. So there was, I think there's like 13 of them left in circulation at this point, and so one of them was up for auction. And yeah, this group within I feel like less than a week, somebody found out that it was happening, and then just started talking about it on Twitter, and then gathered a huge amount of people together, and everyone put like. 36 million dollars together in like a couple days and then they were trying to buy the constitution that's unfortunately unfortunately they got outbid they didn't get to buy it but it was really exciting that they got to try and i, I would have loved to have seen them do it <laughs> yeah oh my gosh i now i feel like i totally missed out on all of the fun with all of this. So yes, thank you for letting me know about that. I'll have to go do some research on that. That's yeah. amazing. It was exciting to watch. I bet. Oh my gosh. So um, believe it or not, we are almost out of time. Um, so what have I not asked you that I should have? Um, what is Geode Finance? What is the company that we work for? Yeah, I'm sorry. We're talking <laughs> about I'm so sorry, Robin. Yes, please tell us more yeah. about that. So to give you a quick little rundown before actually explaining it, and I'll have Fry explain it a little more, but um, so there's uh, a lot of people are irritated with stuff like Bitcoin and Ethereum right now because of the fact that it uses so much energy. And one of the things that is uh, either like Ethereum is trying to transition to what's known as proof of stake, which is different from proof of work, which is what Bitcoin was built on. And that's essentially where you're just, using a massive amount of energy to continue solving complex puzzles. Uh, but now what has happened with most of the newer blockchains is they're using proof of stake. And that is essentially uh, much cheaper, much better for the environment and much faster. And what you do that's different in that is you're basically taking uh, a certain amount of funds that you have and depositing that and then that kind of provides proof that you're essentially serious about uh, securing the network. With Ethereum, it's, uh, is it 200, Fry, that you have to put up? Or no, it's 32. 32. So, yeah. So you can make multiple nodes, but you have, to, you have to stake 32 Ethereum at minimum. And with the price fluctuating around like right now $3,000, that's a decent amount of money that you have. So... Um, what's happening now, though, is when you do that, you're also taking the funds that you would normally be able to essentially invest in decentralized finance, and you're locking those up. And you do get a small return for that, uh, usually like 9%, somewhere between like 11 to 9%, depending on, you know, how many people are doing it and what chain you're on. And of course, 9% interest is pretty good, you know but you can do so much more in DeFi. So it's like, why would somebody do that? 
uh, it's more secure because you're actually locking it with the chain itself as opposed to putting it in a decentralized app that could suffer some kind of hack. But what it comes down to is there's a change in the way that you are actually uh, providing service to the blockchain and helping the blockchain to thrive and survive. And you're locking up your funds to basically prevent you from making larger returns. So that's kind of where we come in from Geode Finance. Well, yeah, well, you're validating the network, basically. What, what Robin's basically trying to say is that proof of stake is becoming more and more popular with, with networks. And a proof of stake, in my opinion, is the only way to go in terms of validation. And that's why Ethereum is moving to a proof of stake. It basically, rather than taking the intense workload of proof of work, um, having to solve a complex equation, as you mentioned, instead it's, it's done with a set of validators who basically validate the transactions on the network. And that's, um, that's what you have with proof of stake. So geode finance is launching on one of the fastest and cheapest networks for transacting. And that's called avalanche network. So we talked a little bit earlier about different networks and why people would choose to transact on different networks. Well, there is a large use case right now for people using Avalanche um, to transact. And there's also projects being built on Avalanche that you can do other things with your staked asset, um, which is essentially what we do. We do what's called liquid staking, meaning you can stake and validate a network, but you can also use your asset to do other things in decentralized finance. So I just ask anybody who's interested in getting a little bit more into uh, the actual projects that are being developed on uh, Ethereum and on Avalanche and other networks to check out Geode Finance, just geode.fi. Uh, check us out. If you have any questions, we're a lot better at explaining this directly to people with the questions that they have. Um, so yeah, just, just let us know. You can find us on Twitter at, uh, I'm at DeFi And uh, Robin, what was yours? Crypto for Robin. We'll have all of those links um, in the show notes as well. And I just have to say that the website is also hella cool. Um, just like from a, a purely like imagery perspective, um, very cool. Um, is so <laughs> no worries. Yeah. And I appreciate all of the explanation of what you guys do and, and what your company is. And I apologize that we spend so much time talking about the crypto world, but I think that for a lot of people, that's where people are interested, but still, still leery. And so I think that knowing you guys are, you know, someone who can be trusted and they're going to be kind of straight shooters around there. I think that that's helpful for people to know in terms yeah. of looking into geode as well. And one more thing I'd add to, um, if you come and join us in discord, or if you go and join projects, discords that are legitimate, that really is the best way to get a feel for the project. You can get a feel for the community. You can get a feel for the people who are working in the space. And one of the great things about this, one of my first experiences uh, working in crypto, I was really confused about trying to do something. The CEO of the company came and assisted me through it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Try and do that with another, another kind of industry. Where is the <laughs> CEO going to stop what he's doing to help walk you through a process that took him an hour? Well... I mean, I have a couple of clients that that would be the case for, but it is rare. And usually... I mean, for the average person, you know, like you couldn't, you couldn't go and like ask to speak to the oh, yeah. CEO of Bank of America because you don't understand your home loan, you know, <laughs> like, I need you to walk me through this a little bit better. And like, you're just going to be like, no, you know? So <laughs> if you come into the, the communities, it's, it's great because really you're going to get, like I said, well over 99% of the people who are there to have fun and who are there to interact with you, um, who are there to be happy to teach you things and explain stuff. And you have access to all of the developers and all of the team members at basically the click of a button. So that is one of the best things you could probably do is start exploring the discords. Um, cause you'll have a lot of people who are happy to help you out and just be weary of, if somebody sends you a weird ass link, but otherwise you're just trying to chat. There's no problem. You know, just talking with people, just don't give people your, uh, you know, don't give people your passwords and stuff like that. Just like, I wouldn't do that for pretty much anything else. You know, don't give them all your sensitive information and don't put yourself in a position like that, where you can easily get taken advantage of just go in there and ask away. There's plenty of people who are there to teach. So don't like make my banking password or pin number like 
my handle. Like that's, exactly. that's roughly, yeah. Okay. Noted. Noted. Anything else, Fry, to add? No, I think that he pretty much nailed it. Just, um, just it's it takes a little time to get to know the the scene and like who's reliable and who's not but if you take a lot of time before dipping yourself before dipping your feet in um just learning about as many projects as you can um that's really the way to go and there's plenty of educational material out there as well yeah i mean it costs nothing to go look at a youtube video it costs nothing to join a discord you know you don't have to put in any investment to do that and that could be a really, really great way for someone who has no idea what they're doing to get into the space and get a better idea. Great. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This has been fascinating and I, I love the whole talk. So thank you guys so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good one. You've been listening to, Hey, I want your job. For more information on how you can get your own awesome job, visit ONH Consulting at www.onhconsulting.com. We offer incredible resumes, no-nonsense career advice, and real-world tips for landing a job in today's market. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Insta for more insider information. Soon, you'll be hearing us say, I'm Michelle Olivier, and hey, I want your job.